0: Story one, escape. The PA system crackled to life on a Thursday during second period in my junior year of high school. The familiar tones of the recorded voice filled my classroom. Lockdown, locks, lights out of sight. Lockdown, locks, lights out of sight. The words kept repeating as Mrs. Danbury paused at the board and looked up at the speaker in the corner of the room. Okay, you all know what to do, she said rushing toward the classroom door to shut and lock it. Nervous chatter went up among the students as we rose from our desks and moved into position against the wall. Is this real? My friend Colin asked as we sat on the floor with our backs to the wall. Must be, I said. They'd tell us if it was just a drill. The sound of helicopter rotors was faintly audible over the recorded voice of the lockdown alert and the noise grew louder as we sat there in the dark classroom. After a few moments, it sounded like the helicopter was right over the school. A full minute passed before the helicopter moved again, the noise making it sound like it was going in circles above the campus. A loud bang, like a door flying open, sounded outside. Someone yelled in the hall, a sound that was quickly replaced by automatic gunfire. I slammed my hands over my ears, along with many other students. Some of the girls, and even a few of the boys covered their mouths as they cried out softly. More gunfire erupted out in the hallway. It sounded as if there were four or five guns firing. An inhuman screeching sound pierced the air, making my eyes go wide. I looked over at Mrs. Danbury, whose face was drained of all color. She was the nearest to the door, the nearest to whatever the hell was going on in the hallway. The gunfire stopped and I heard a man shout and then scream. His wail of pain stopped abruptly with a loud, crashing bang. I didn't have to see it to know that he'd been thrown into the lockers lining the hallway. The metallic bang was enough to tell me that. More gunfire sounded outside, and then more screaming. Then there was silence. For several seconds, we all listened hard for anything outside. The recorded voice was still going, and the helicopter was still faintly audible. The sound of running footsteps suddenly came to us from the hall. The footsteps stopped abruptly, and a terrible scream erupted just before the door to our classroom smashed in. A SWAT officer flew backward into the room and slammed into Mrs. Danbury's desk, which slid several feet from the impact. Cries of fear came from the students around me as they saw the soldier was missing an arm. He'd hit the desk with his mid-back and had come to rest at an angle that told us his spine was broken. Once the soldier came to rest, there was only silence from the hall. It went on for long enough that I was starting to think the danger had passed. Mrs. Danbury apparently thought the same thing because she crawled toward the doorway where the smashed door was hanging open. I don't know what she was trying to do, but as soon as I saw her move toward the doorway, I wanted to tell her to stop. Still, I made no sound for fear of attracting whatever was outside, if there was anything there at all. She peeked her head around the door jam to peer into the hall. Her left hand came up to her mouth as if trying to keep herself from getting sick. She stood up and turned around to face us. Okay, we need to move to another classroom, she said. The hall looks... A long, blistered, red and black arm with a claw-like hand darted down from the ceiling outside the doorway and grabbed Mrs. Danbury by the neck, stopping her words. It yanked her out of the classroom before any of us knew what was happening. We heard a scream and a thunk from outside. Then Mrs. Danbury appeared in the doorway again, only she didn't have any arms. Blood spewed from her massive wounds as she stepped into the room, looking back over her shoulder with a dazed look on her face. What she saw there snapped her out of it, and she started running toward the wall of windows opposite the doorway. Fountains of blood poured out of her as she ran past her desk, screaming. A monstrous, scarred figure that looked like a badly burned mix between a bear and a baboon darted through the doorway after our teacher. It leapt, smashing into Mrs. Danbury just as she reached the window. The two of them tumbled out, falling to the ground just a few feet below. My teacher screamed once more outside, before her vocalization stopped with a terrible ripping sound. All of us students stayed frozen against the wall, staring at the broken window, waiting for the thing to come back in. We should have run, but we didn't. It was all too much for us. Eventually, the gruesome sounds from outside stopped, but none of us were willing to risk standing up and moving toward the window to see what was happening. Not long after those noises stopped, we heard a flurry of gunshots from far off, likely off the high school campus. Hearing those faraway shots snapped me out of shock. I stood up and moved slowly to the doorway. I looked out to see the hallway littered with dismembered bodies. There was blood all over the place. A man with a smashed head lay below a huge and bloody dent in several of the lockers across the hall. A few other guys and I led the rest of the class out. We headed toward the evacuation spot and were about halfway there when we ran into more police coming into the school. They took us to safety. We were told it was an escaped animal from the zoo. That's even what they said on the news that night. They said it was a bear, but I know what I saw. It wasn't a bear. It wasn't any animal I've ever seen. And the fact that there's a military research base not far from our school is just too much of a coincidence. But those of us who were in that classroom that day are smart enough to keep our mouths shut. But we know the truth. We'll always know the truth. Story two, dead all day. Before the lockdown even started, I knew something weird was going on, and I wasn't the only one. It was my senior year, and I had a pretty easy schedule. It was spring and I could see the end of high school on the horizon. But that day, a Tuesday, my concerns turned from the mundane to the insane. At first, I shrugged off the strange feelings I had. I thought the teachers were just having an off day, or maybe it was me who was having the off day. I told myself to forget about it until lunch came around, and I went off campus to get a burger with my buddy Tom. What's up with the teachers today? Tom asked, as we sat in the fast food drive through waiting to pay and get our food. I turned, surprised at Tom, who was usually about as observant as an octogenarian with failing eyesight. "'You noticed that too?' I asked. "'Yeah, man. They're acting really strange. Mr. Bemis was just staring at me during first period. His eyes were all wide and blank. It was creepy as hell.' Then during second period... Miss Delia forgot how to spell the word algebra. She just stood there at the board, her hand up, with the A and the L written. I swear, she stood there for a full minute before Courtney Miller asked her if she was all right. It was weird. Maybe they all got together and smoked a blunt this morning or something. I laughed at that, (laughs) thinking about the teachers hotboxing one of their minivans. But the laughter didn't last long. Tom was right. Something funny was going on. Yeah, Mr. Lou walked super slowly up and down the aisles while we were taking a test today, I said. He never does that. He always sits at his desk and reads or something while we take tests. And how slow he was walking? You'd have to try really hard to walk that slowly. Plus, I caught a whiff of him as he walked by one time. He stank. He was wearing cologne or something, but I could smell something nasty underneath it. You know what? Tom said, that made me remember something. You know how Miss Delia is always so prim and proper? She's a neat freak, right? I nodded. I had Delia in one of my afternoon classes. Well, Tom continued, she looked kind of sloppy in class today. Her hair was frizzy, her makeup a little, I don't know, sloppy or something. It didn't connect until you said that about Mr. Lou stinking. Our conversation stopped as I pulled up to the drive-through window to complete the transaction. Then I drove to a nearby park where we sat on the hood of my Camry and ate, enjoying the spring day. We got back to school just in time for class and went our separate ways. About 20 minutes into class, the lockdown started. I was in Mrs. Santiago's class when the alarm went off. Mrs. Santiago smiled as if she'd been expecting it, which made me think it was just a drill although every other time they'd done a drill, they'd told us beforehand. All right, class, Mrs. Santiago said. We're doing something a little different today. Half of you are going to stay here in the classroom like a normal lockdown drill. The other half will follow me to another location. It's something new, we're trying to see how it works. I looked around, furrowing my brow. I didn't see the logic in it. Why would half of us leave the classroom to go somewhere else if there was a threat out there? A few other kids in the class seemed to share my concern, but most of them didn't care. They were simply willing to do what the teacher said. I waited for more information from Mrs. Santiago, but she didn't do anything for several minutes. After turning the lights off and locking the door, she just stood at the front of the classroom, hands clasped behind her back looking at us with a small smile on her lips. Finally, just when I was about to ask her what was going on, she split the class in half down the middle, telling those of us on the left side to come with her and those on the right to stay in the classroom. I stood and lined up with the other kids on the left while those on the right got against the wall. We followed Mrs. Santiago out of the classroom, taking the right. I was three kids behind her peering around them to watch her, thinking about the strange ways teachers had been acting. She was in her 50s, with hair that had mostly gone from black to gray. She wore a floral print dress with frilly short sleeves. As we walked down the hall, I saw a drop of blood crawl down the back of her arm from under the sleeve. It stopped just above her elbow. A bad feeling seated itself in my stomach as we reached the doors to the gym. Mrs. Santiago stepped aside and opened one of them to usher us inside. It was dark inside the gym because all the lights were off. As soon as I walked through the door, I stepped aside while the other kids walked past me into the darkness. I could hear some of them murmuring. I knew something was wrong. One of the students pulled out a phone and turned on the flashlight. The illumination revealed other people in the gym, teachers, just standing there in the dark on either side of the doors, making a wide corridor in which the students now stood. There must have been a dozen of them, and as the flashlight came on, they moved in on the students. Screams bounced around the gym as the teachers attacked the students with knives and cleavers from the school kitchen. The sickening sound of metal-piercing flesh and blood spilling to the glossy gym floor unleashed a deep fear inside me. Since I'd stepped aside to the wall when I'd entered the gym, I was still in the dark. I stumbled back toward the door, watching in abject horror as knives plunged into my fellow students. Clammy, cold hands grabbed my shoulders. I panicked, throwing an elbow behind me and connecting with what felt like a nose and mouth. The hands came off of me as I turned around, seeing Mrs. Santiago standing there staring at me, her mouth split open and her nose bleeding. I shoved past her in the doorway, trying to get away from the gym, but she grabbed my left arm with her right hand. At 18, I was much bigger and stronger than her. I shoved her as hard as I could. Something ripped and she fell back against the gym door, but her hand still gripped my left arm above the elbow. I scrambled, pulling at her severed arm, ripping it off of me and throwing it at her feet. I ran, looking back over my shoulder as Mrs. Santiago stood there, seemingly unaware that she'd just had her arm removed, staring at me as I sprinted down the hallway. I ran for the nearest exit through the empty hallways, past dark classrooms. The lockdown alarm was still blaring, but I barely noticed it. The sound of my heart beating seemed louder than any alarm could ever be. I slowed as I passed Tom's classroom, clarity coming into my thoughts. I wanted to run out, but thinking of Tom and my other friends made me think of all the students that would be in danger if I just ran away. I approached Tom's classroom slowly, glancing through the slender window into the dark room. I thought I had seen Tom's fifth period teacher, Mr. Pelham, in the gym. So when I didn't see anyone in the classroom, I banged on the door. Tom, I whispered loudly at the door between bangs. Tom, it's me, Nate, I said. Tom appeared out of the darkness. Nate, he said through the closed door. What are you doing? It's lockdown, man. Where's your teacher? I said, I don't know. He left like five minutes ago, told us to stay put. Open the door, we've gotta go, I said. The teachers, they're killing people. What? Tom said, smiling. Don't mess with me, man, this is serious. I stepped back from the door and glanced both ways down the hall. I didn't see anyone. I am serious, I said. Everyone needs to leave, come on. Tom reached for the door handle, but a voice from inside the classroom stopped him. I couldn't hear exactly what they said, but Tom's response gave me a clue. I know we're not supposed to open the door, Tom said, but this is Nate, he's no school shooter. Tom opened the door and let me inside. I closed it behind me and looked into the darkness at the students sitting against the wall. We need to go, I told them, now. Something is seriously wrong. We're supposed to stay here, one girl whose name I didn't know said. That's what the drills are all about, remember? I'm telling you, I said. The drills didn't have this in mind. It's the teachers. I watched them kill some of my classmates. There's something wrong with them. Haven't you noticed anything strange today? I could see in their eyes that many of the students had noticed, but none of them moved. All right, fine, I said. I'll go get help, Tom. You gonna stay here or come with me? I'm with you, man, Tom said, looking scared. Okay, I said to him. Then I turned to the other students. Someone call 911 if you haven't already. We have, someone said. They have police on the way. Lock the door behind us, Tom said to the nearest student as we turned to the door. It was tempting to hunker down and wait for the cops to show up. But seeing what I'd seen, there was no way I could do it. The teachers had keys to the classrooms, after all. We'd be sitting ducks. I checked the hall before stepping out. Tom followed, shutting the door softly behind us. We booked it to the nearest exit and pushed on the metal bars to open the doors. They came open a few inches and stopped, the telltale rattle of chains coming from the outside. They locked the doors, I said in a harsh whisper. What the hell is going on here? Tom said. I looked around. Let's try the faculty area, I said, noticing that we were near the admin offices. Maybe they left one of those unlocked, Tom nodded. We moved cautiously through the halls toward admin, listening hard and keeping our eyes peeled. We ducked through the doors denoting the faculty area and saw a flickering orange light coming from the teacher's lounge. The door was closed, but like most of the doors in the school, it had a thin rectangular window off center through which the flickering light shone. I crept up to the door with Tom behind me. Taking a deep breath, I looked through the window. I saw a figure in the middle of the room staring right at me. I pulled my head back down. Shit! What? Tom said. There's someone in there, I said, then stopped. The image of the figure in the room took a moment to solidify in my mind. I stuck my head up again and looked through the window. The vice principal, a man named Ben Sheridan, was floating in the middle of the room, his legs and arms outstretched to make an X with his body. He was naked, and there was a short wooden spear jammed through his chest. The orange light was coming out of his eyes, nostrils, and wide open mouth, flickering as if from an inner fire. There were also red glowing words and symbols written on the floors and walls of the lounge, pulsating in time with the brighter light coming out of Sheridan's face. He floated just above a glowing circle on the floor, the edges of which were surrounded by strange symbols and words. I couldn't read any of the words because they were in another language, but the symbols looked like they'd been taken right out of a horror movie. How is this happening? Tom said, and I realized he was standing behind me, looking over my head through the window. He sounded on the verge of tears. This isn't supposed to happen. He continued. This isn't possible. We need to get out of here, I said. Now. We moved past the vice principal's office and the principal's office and past the admin office to the doors used by the faculty. I pushed on one of the doors, my hope disappearing as it, too, only opened partially before it was stopped by exterior chains. The principal's office, I said. Maybe the window's open or we can break one. Tom nodded following along, wringing his hands. As soon as we got into the office, I could tell that the windows weren't designed to open. I started looking around for something heavy I could use to break one of the windows. I located a heavy teaching award on the desk and picked it up. It was the shape of an apple attached to a wooden base. It weighed maybe 10 pounds. I glanced down at the desk blotter, noticing that it was a calendar. I looked at yesterday's date, reading a note there, Faculty meeting, 5.30 p.m. Something fell together in my mind. I was about to tell Tom about it when he spoke. Someone's coming, he said in a harsh whisper. We ducked behind the principal's desk as a figure moved through the hall outside the office. I heard the door to the office open and I clutched the award in my sweaty hands, mentally preparing myself to use it. Nate Oshman, a woman's voice said. Is that you? I stood up quickly, holding the heavy award over my head. It was Christina Henry, a pretty 20-something art teacher I'd had my junior year. We need to get out of here, she said, holding up her hands. I don't know what's happening with the other teachers, but they're killing students. Yeah, no shit, I said. Tom stood up, eyeing Christina nervously. She looked normal and she sounded genuinely scared, but I wasn't about to let her near me. Were you at the meeting yesterday? I asked her, taking a shot in the dark. She looked at me with open curiosity. The meeting? What are you talking about? Why is that important? Because I'm guessing that's the last time all the teachers were together in one room, I said. Whatever happened to them, someone did it on purpose. You walked past the teacher's lounge. You must have seen it. I was sick yesterday, Christina said, apparently seeing the logic in my thinking. I missed it. Now, can we please get out of here? Whoever chained up the doors had to be able to get back in here somehow. I have a key to all the exterior doors. We can find the one and get out of here. I glanced at Tom, who looked at me with wide eyes, which he shifted down toward the desk. He was trying to tell me something. Let me think, I said to Christina, then looked down at the desk. Tom leaned down and put his hand on top of a clipboard on the desk. I glanced at it. Seeing it was a list of names, teacher's names. At the top of the sheet, it read faculty attendance. And right next to Tom's index finger was the name Christina Henry. Next to her name, a check mark. I looked back up to see that she had a gun in her hand. I like you guys, she said, dropping the scared tone. I really would have let you go. You're both respectful students. You're not disruptive. I really wish you would have believed me. She raised the gun. I threw the heavy award at her, ducking as I did so. She fired the gun, but missed, as she dodged out of the way of the teacher's award. Tom dove over the desk and tackled Christina, slamming her against the wall. They both fell in a tangle on the ground. Tom scrambled on top of her. She brought the gun up, but Tom caught her wrist with his left hand. With his right, he reached out and grabbed the award, then slammed it down on her face once. That was all it took. Seeing what he'd done, he clambered off of her as if she were hot to the touch. I stepped over to her and felt her pockets for the keys she spoke of. I found them and darted out of the office. Where are you going? Tom cried. We need to stop this, I said over my shoulder. I froze when we got into the hall. I could see through the doors to the faculty area that the hall was filled with teachers. They all had sharp implements in their hands and they were all coated in blood. They stared at me blankly as they hurried down the hall. I ran toward them, stopping at the teacher's lounge. The doors to the faculty area were about 15 yards to my right. The teachers were five yards beyond that. I tried the knob to the teacher's lounge door, unsurprised to find it locked. Trying to calm my shaking hands, I fiddled with the keys, trying two of them before the doors opened to my right. I had time for three more out of the dozen on the key ring. To my left, Tom came out of the principal's office. Oh shit, man, he said, looking at the dead-eyed teachers bearing down on me. Run, Nate, he cried. I slid a key into the knob and turned it, amazed to find that it actually worked. I'd found the key. I stepped into the room and picked up a chair from the wall just as the teachers crowded the doorway behind me. I stood outside the glowing circle on the ground and used the chair to shove the floating vice principal. I had to put all my strength into it, but it worked. As soon as he reached the opposite edge of the circle, he fell to the ground. Immediately, the glowing lights in his face disappeared, leaving only scorched black holes. The foreign words and symbols all over the floor, walls, and ceiling stopped glowing too. Behind me, I heard bodies falling to the floor. I turned around to see that all the teachers crowding the hallway were now sprawled out. I knew instinctively that they weren't unconscious. They were dead. They'd been dead all day. At least now, they weren't trying to kill us. Behind us, outside the school, the sound of approaching sirens was like music to my ears. Story three, hungry high school. History class is underway and there's nothing more boring. I slide down in my seat and adjust my hooded sweatshirt. Mrs. Blaylock used to give me shit about my hood, but I eventually wore her down. It's not the hood that I'm concerned with, though. It's the headphones in my ears under the hood. There are a few classes where I can get away with listening to music while the teacher drones on. It takes persistence to make it so the teachers don't even try, but I'm stubborn and I like to get my way. I zone out while Mrs. Blaylock goes over World War II. Class is about halfway over when all the students suddenly perk up and look toward the PA speaker in the corner of the room. I reach up and take one of my headphones out, hearing the familiar instructions of another lockdown drill. It's about time for one, I think. We do one every month. I slip the headphone back into my ear. I don't need to hear the instructions. I already know what we're supposed to do. I lean forward and get ready to head to the other side of the room with the rest of the students. A fast-paced punk rock song plays in my ears. Everyone stays seated for another minute or so, and I assume there must be some other announcements or instructions for this drill. I debate taking my headphones out to hear them, but it's probably too late now anyway. I'll just follow the lead of the other students. Mrs. Blaylock is standing in the front of the room, looking like she's asleep with her eyes open I know the feeling. The students all stand up at the same time, a synchronized movement that gives me chills. I stand up too, shrugging it off as a coincidence. I take a couple of steps forward to head to the wall, but none of the other students are moving. I look over at Jared, who is the only kid in class I can really stand, and see that he's standing up, just staring ahead. What the hell is going on? I think for a second that everyone in class is playing a prank on me, but that would involve a level of preparedness that is unthinkable for high school students, especially the ones at my school. The song I'm listening to ends, and there's a moment of silence before the next one begins. A strange, repetitive sound comes dully through my headphones, and I feel my mind slipping away like I'm about to fall asleep. But it's not pleasant, like drifting off after a long day. It's downright scary, like my consciousness is being ripped away from me. The next song starts and I snap out of it, coming back to my body. What in the actual fuck? I look up at the PA. There's nowhere else that sound could come from. I pull out my phone and open Spotify. I go into advanced settings and select the crossfade songs option, so there won't be any silence between songs. I put my phone back in my pocket and turn my head. The girl that sits behind Jared, her name's Amy, is sucking on Jared's neck. It only takes me a moment to realize she's not really sucking on his neck. She's biting it. She pulls away with a mouthful of flesh and blood sprays out of Jared's neck, coating Amy's face as she chews contentedly. Jared doesn't seem to notice. He steps forward to Hector, the student ahead of him. Jared raises Hector's arm, then takes a big bite out of it. Hands come at me from both sides and I turn to see dead-eyed students grabbing at me, their mouths watering. I shove them back and rush to the front of the room. I head straight for the door, looking over my shoulder to see that all the students in the classroom are now eating each other. Bloody mouths chew, wounds spill blood and glazed eyes stare at nothing. Mrs. Blaylock steps toward me with that same blank yet hungry look on her face. I turn, running into the hall and slam right into the gym teacher, Mr. Hardiman. He grabs me by the shoulders and ducks his head forward to take a bite out of me. I snap my head forward, headbutting him in the nose. We stumble away from each other. I grip my forehead, wondering how people do that in the movies without getting hurt. I've got a serious headache, but it pales in comparison to the threat of being eaten by Mr. Hardiman. He reaches toward me again, but I duck him and run down the hall. Punk rock plays in my headphones, and I suddenly feel like I'm in a movie with a kick-ass soundtrack but a glance into a classroom I'm passing reminds me that this is no movie. This is really happening. Everyone has turned to zombies and they're eating each other. I keep running, heading to the front office. I slide to a stop outside the office door, looking through the window. I don't see anyone in the office area. I don't know exactly where the PA system is located, but I assume it must be somewhere beyond that office door in the faculty area. I push through the door, and come to the reception desk that's usually manned by Miss Kelly, the administrative assistant. I rush around the desk and trip over someone, or two someone's. I realize as I look behind me where I am on the floor, Miss Kelly, once busy eating Principal Daly, now sets her sights on me. She grabs my left leg while Principal Daly, who is so badly eaten I thought he was dead, sits up from the floor and reaches out for me. I yell and kick and scramble away, tucking into the first office I see. As soon as I stand up in the office, I'm knocked down again as someone in dark clothing runs into me. We both fall to the floor and I'm ready to fend off a hungry mouth, but the figure clambers up and runs out the door. I look around the office and see the PA system built into the wall next to the desk. The microphone is bent down to a small digital recording device on the desk. I see that someone has taped the transmit button down I rip the tape off and hit stop on the digital recorder. I pull out my phone and turn down the volume a little, ready to turn it back up if I hear that weird noise again, but I don't. So I turn my music down some more, and then I turn it off. I hear a high-pitched sound start up, which sends my heart skipping and almost has me pushing play on my phone again, but I recognize the noise. It's the sound of hundreds of people screaming. I step out to the office door and see Miss Kelly and Principal Daly looking at their wounds, screaming. Principal Daly passes out as I stand there, unsure what to do. Miss Kelly looks up at me, tears streaming down her blood-smeared cheeks. What happened? She screams. Help me! All across the school, students and teachers are pouring out of the classrooms, bloody and missing pieces, screaming in confusion. I can hear them. I step back into the office where the PA is, and shut the door for a little quiet. I call 911 and tell them there's been a terrible incident during a lockdown drill. I tell them to send all the medical personnel they can. The lady asks me how many people are injured. All of them, I say. Once the call is done, I lean over, depress the transmit button on the PA and tell everyone that help is on the way. I can still hear the screaming. I look down at my phone again, debating. Making a decision, I turn my music back on, crank the volume and go looking for a first aid kit. Thankful that I can no longer hear the screaming. I don't know who it was that set this whole thing up. I don't know how it's even possible, but I do know one thing. I'm never going anywhere without my headphones ever again.